0: So normally, when we do a sermon, most anybody who does a sermon, you kind of want to start out a little bit upbeat, you know, tell a story, tell a joke, and then you kind of dig around a little bit and you find the challenge and you work on that for a while and you get to a resolution. That's not what we're going to do today. We are going to start in the pit of despair. All right. We're starting in the pit. We are going to try to climb out. We may not make it all the way. We'll see what happens. So Jesus says at one point, the wages of sin is death. And, you know, we kind of, we've been raised with that all our lives. We just sort of, yeah, okay, the wages of sin is death, and we don't think about it much. But what does that actually mean? When sin plays out, when it has its way, when it runs its course, where does it end up? Well, think about, you know, the news. Think about everything that's wrong with the world. You know, the wars, the famine, the betrayal, the violence, the destruction. That's what happens when sin is allowed to have its way in the world. And... The Psalms spend quite a bit of time talking about, well, you know, you you think maybe the rich people don't have to go through that. They get everything they want and live to an old age and die happy, but they don't. You know, the richest person in the world lying on their deathbed is still looking at a futile and meaningless life if they have let sin run rampant in their lives. The hurtful, the selfish, the disappointing relationships, the meaningless, dusty, useless work, getting the most toys, and dying anyway. Into the black sack with you. And good old Shakespeare, you remember in Hamlet, he he talks about that whole picture of the, the life without meaning. Hamlet is pacing back and forth and says, Out, out, brief candle. Life is but a waking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Really makes you want to jump out of bed in the morning, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, but that's, that's where sin winds up, even without the bloody violence. It still winds up in the black sack, dusty and meaningless. Now, if you were God, if you got to just be God, would you want to somehow steer your beloved children away from that? Who's who's a parent in here? Yeah, most of you. What would you do to steer them away from that? How far would you go to steer them away from that? What if you had to hurt them to steer them away from that? Would you? I have not tried raising anybody, but I'm old enough to have been spanked. You know, I don't know what parents do nowadays, but in my parents' day, it it was appropriate sometimes to hurt a child in order to get their attention and put a harsh limit to destructive behavior that was going to kill them or burn the house down. That was entirely appropriate, and it worked. You know, here I am.
1: (laughs) House is still standing.
0: And throughout the Bible, there are many, 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 many verses. I didn't even begin to try to round them all up. Pounding the point that those God loves, he disciplines. And we know that sometimes that discipline could be pretty harsh when, when rebellion was just absolutely stiff-necked and unrepentant and would not give. God had to get pretty harsh. And that's not God saying, my way or the highway because I'm a jerk. That's not what it's about. It's This is what evil comes to. Turn away from evil and turn back to me so that you can have a life. So, back to Jonah. Here's where we left off. Jonah's running to Tarshish to get away from God. He's on a boat. There's a giant storm. Uh, The sailors are panicking. They've had to throw their cargo overboard. There goes the whole point of the trip for them. They're not going to make any money. And the storm is still raging. They're now in fear for their lives, so they cast lots to try to find out whose fault is this storm, whose God is after us, who needs to make a sacrifice. And the lot falls on Jonah. They go wake him up because he's sleeping through this, how much he cares about it. They go wake Jonah up and he's basically caught red-handed defying God. Remember last week Dan talked about this. Who are you? What God do you worship? Well, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the God of heaven and earth and this is my fault. So here's the scripture. The sea is getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. But instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not because the sea grew even wilder than before. So then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, because you, Lord, have done as you pleased. So then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called out to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called out for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurtled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of praise, grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up on dry land. So, why was Jonah running to Tarshish? He had made a life vow to be a prophet of the Lord Almighty, And God told him to go preach to the Assyrians, and Jonah fled. Why? Well, one reason, God is being unreasonable and crazy. He's asking too much. There are pictures in archaeology of the Assyrians doing what Assyrians did. You know, big mounds of decapitated heads and skinned bodies and you know, stakes with skulls piled. I mean, I'm not showing you the pictures because whatever you can imagine a person could do to another person with a spear and a stick and a club, they did it a lot. So Jonah had good reason to be afraid of the Assyrians. But he also has kind of a wonked-out picture of God because Jonah sort of suspects that if he goes to the Assyrians, God's going to deal falsely with Israel and forgive Israel's enemies and let Israel's enemies continue to ransack them and persecute them and oppress them. He's got this wonky picture of who God is. He also thinks that God is limited in his range. Even though he calls God the God of heaven and earth, he still thinks you can run away. So he's got a lot of messed up ideas about God. So, God's answer to Jonah's rebellion that's just going on and on and on and isn't stopping. The belly of the beast. Now, it doesn't matter if this is a fish or a whale or a UFO. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Jonah is in the belly of the beast. He basically winds up in there in the absolute dark and says, okay, I'm dead. This is it. It's all over. I got nothing left. But I'm still a prophet of the Lord. I'm going to call out on God. Jonah's not exactly apologizing for his rebellion. He's just returning to God. He's turning around and saying, Oh God, here I am. Help me. I want to fulfill my vow. And God allows him to do that. Now, remember that the belly of the beast is different from the storm. The sailors were in the storm. They were suffering because of what Jonah did. So the storm is a separate deal. It's where you wind up when somebody else is rebelling against God. And you have to take the fallout for it. That happens. But each and every one of us, I think, if we're all human, we all look more or less human, has had a time in our lives when we have been stiff-necked about something and absolutely said to God, No, I'm not doing it. You're asking too much. This is crazy. And we wind up, at least in part of our lives, in the belly of the beast, in the darkness, where there's nothing left for us to do but die or call out to God. So what sins put Jonah in the belly of the beast? Well, his fear and hatred of the Assyrians, which was completely rational, but not inspired by God, not part of God's heart. His disobedience of God, even though he had vowed that he was going to be a prophet for his whole life, he's disobeying, he's breaking that vow. His defiance of God's nature, and God's nature was well known to all the Israelites, you are to be a blessing to the whole world. That's God's nature, and Jonah's flying in defiance of that. Now, as we're ticking through Jonah's sins, kind of tick through your own stuff as well and see if anything sort of sticks out a little bit. And the last sin of Jonah's that I want to bring up is despair. Actually, Jonah does this a lot. He's kind of given to throwing his hands up and saying, well, just kill me. This is just unendurable I can't bear to live. Sometimes he has good reason, and yet I keep thinking back to Anne of Green Gables where the the little girl is saying, well, haven't you ever just been in the depths of despair? And her adoptive mother said, no. To despair is to turn your back on God. And that kind of always stuck out with me. Sometimes we don't have control over depression, But we do have control over despair. We don't have to go there. So the belly of the beast is the bottom of the barrel that we sometimes have to go to in order to turn around. It's the natural destination of our rebellion. It's not a good place to live. But it is a good place to learn. So finally, repentance begins for Jonah. We're not going to climb all the way out of the pit yet because Jonah doesn't get all the way to repentance, but he makes some good progress. The lot that the sailors cast has pretty much caught Jonah red-handed in rebellion. It fell to him. So Jonah is willing to wake up to the fact that he is in sin. He's willing to fess up to the people around him and say, This is my fault. That's a good beginning. If there's any place in your life where you are in the belly of the beast, stuck in something that is just continuing to go around the toilet, and pretty soon it's going to go down the toilet, and you just feel like, what do I do? If there's a stiff-necked rebellion involved in that, you can begin to admit to yourself and the people around you, this is my fault, at least part of it is, I did this. Another step that Jonah makes is he's beginning to have some compassion for the people around him. He's beginning to notice that the sailors are suffering because of what he's done. Now, if he was really 100% there, he would have jumped overboard instead of making them throw him overboard because that puts them in in a bad spot. They're afraid of God and they're like, but, 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 but. If Jonah was really 100% there, he would have jumped. But he's making progress. He does say, what I deserve is to be thrown overboard. Do that. That'll help you. So he's making steps. And even that small beginning leads to a a good thing for the sailors. They get to see God Almighty still the storm they get to realize that this God of heaven and earth that Jonah worships is the God of heaven and earth. He's not the God of the mast or the God of the tiller or the God of some port or other or the God of seashells. So they get a big blessing out of Jonah making even these halting steps towards repentance. Jonah remembers In the belly of the beast, that God is good. And he turns around and faces God and calls out to him. He hasn't yet got to the point of saying, Forgive me, Lord, for being stiff necked and rebelling against you. But he has gotten to the point of saying, I'm dead. It's no point hanging out with me. I may as well turn around and hang out with God because God is good. I know God is good. I'm going to proclaim God's goodness. Have you ever gotten to the point, and I, I kind of think this is sort of where Jonah was at at, the, at that last moment where he's saying, throw me overboard. Have you ever gotten to the point where you've just made such a colossal mess of something that you just want to say, somehow I need to just throw myself on God's mercy. Just jump off the cliff and hope he catches me. That it's, somehow it's kind of almost a spirit-led give up Just give up. Turn it to God. Do it his way. Agree with him. Let him save you. Because there is no safer place than that. And Jonah begins to realize that even while he's being digested in the belly of the fish with seaweed wrapped around his head, he kind of realizes at some level that he's in a safe place because he's turned to God. He's making progress. He still wants the Assyrians punished. He hasn't progressed to the point of having God's heart for his enemies. But God ain't done with him yet. We've still got several more chapters of Jonah to get through in weeks to come. But at least he's making a step in the direction. He can now begin to ask God to change his heart. And we can ask God to change our hearts about the things that we're just absolutely stuck in stiff-necked rebellion about and we don't see a way out and it's getting worse and worse. We can ask God to change our hearts about it. We can give up being right and just be his. So how do we experience Jonah's story? We may be the sailors. We may be in the storm because of someone else's sin. And what are we to do about that? We can recognize God and do what he requires and worship him. Let come what may. Unfortunately, we could also be the Assyrians. And... I hate to get all political on you, but here in America, you know, we are subject to that of doing evil and loving it because we can. The Assyrians were the richest and most powerful, most feared nation in the area, in the known world at their time. They did it because they could. Couldn't stop them. It's very, very tempting sometimes when when a nation is rich and powerful and can't be stopped for them to just do whatever they want because they can and call it good because, hey, we did it, so it must be good. That's an unpleasant bite to swallow, but we can bite it and chew it and see if it fits. That's a bad metaphor. (laughs) You sort that out. I got that messed up. But we can also be Jonah. We can be stuck in the belly of the beast, at least in some areas of our life, where we just don't want to obey God. Just don't want to love that enemy. Just don't want to forgive that person. Just don't want to be in relationship with someone who irritates the panties off of us. We just don't want to. Someone we don't want to forgive some refusal to even try to love our enemies. And again, think politically. You know, if you, if you like to have contempt for that other party or those other people, that can put you in the belly of the beast eventually. It can sure drag our whole country down there. It could be some fear, like Jonah had, his fear of the Assyrians, that's keeping you in rebellion against God. And we have to face that fear and say to God, you know, I'm terrified that if I obey you, some bad thing is going to happen. And your fear may be quite realistic. Maybe if I love this enemy, they're going to take advantage of me. Maybe if I admit I'm wrong, I'm going to go to jail. Maybe this, maybe that. And you might be right. Nevertheless, that repentance is better than the belly of the beast. And it may be that in some parts of your life you've given in to despair. Just kill me. Just get it over with. I told you we were going to spend a lot of time in the pit today. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. But God does get the fish to puke him out. So, you know, hold on to your hat. How can we go about repenting? We can begin to do some of the things that Jonah did. Jonah didn't really understand God's character. But we do, at least a little bit. We really understand what God's about. The incredible, overwhelming love that God is. Because it's really tempting sometimes to think of God as being the big sheriff in the sky. The big nun with the ruler in the sky, who's just waiting to whack us on the hands because we did something wrong. And it's hard to believe sometimes what God's love is and how big it is and how all encompassing is, that he really is the God of the universe, all of it. And that in him is no darkness at all. We gotta hold on to that. Because it's, it's too tempting to think of God the way we think of a toxic relationship with somebody who's violent and abusive and deceptive, but they're also benevolent and they buy you stuff and tell you that you know, everything's fine and they're going to change and then they go back to being abusive and violent and deceptive and then they buy you stuff and they're sweet. and Sometimes we get into that jag with God you know, where you just never know if he's going to be good or mean. That's a human thing. That's not a God thing. God is who God is all the time. Sometimes I I, I just want to scream because someone will be going through stuff and they say, you know, I just got to figure out what the lesson is in this so God will stop punishing me. If that's ever come out of your mouth, take it back. Please take it back. That is not who God is. It's not a trick question. It's not a test. It's a walk in love. So, catastrophic mercy. What does catastrophic mercy look like for you? How could you hit bottom? And how can you throw yourself on God's mercy? How can we begin to repent? And what do we learn about God? God calls us to surprising and ridiculous things. The Holy Spirit is crazy. By this world's standards, crazy, crazy, crazy. Thank God. Another thing that we learn about God is that we may have to run risks. We may have to endure danger. We may have to suffer hardship in order to obey him. And all of scripture is full of many, many, many instances where that happened and where God praised and said, well done, good and faithful servant. The world is full of hardship, but you faced it with me. And that's another thing we learn about God here. God is always with us at our side, even in the belly of the fish. We are never alone couldn't be if we went, if if Jonah had climbed into the belly of the fish trying to get away from God, like he was going to Tarshish, he's still with God. Still there. God's love is more extraordinary than we can even imagine. When it seems crazy, when it seems foolish, when it seems stupid, it's just extraordinary. That's all. It's just God blowing our minds and expanding our spirits to bigger love. Jonah needs a changed heart so that he can preach to the Assyrians. God's still working on him. He's not done. He's just out of the fish, finally. So, this has been a little short, but I know it's been kind of grim, so I'm going to let you go. That's over. Thank God. Yes. All right. Jonah's out of the fish. He's on the beach. The sun is shining. He stinks like a dead shark, but he's, he's ready to get back to work. He's ready to get back to trusting God. He's ready to get back to his job. He's ready to try one more time to keep the vow he made because originally he did love God, and he can still love God. So I want to leave you on a little bit of a higher note. Uh, Would you please stand and the worship team come back up for the benediction. We're going to sing our way out of this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.